0: and Human Development at Texas A&M. Again, Texas A&M. I'm from the University of Houston, so you know, I know about that, that, that Texas A&M experience. The College of Education and Human Development at Texas A&M has a mission of enriching and transforming lives through education and health and developing leaders and professionals in education, sport, business, healthcare, and related fields and industries. He's on the show today to discuss his new book, Race, Sports, and Education, Improving opportunities and outcomes for black male college athletes. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Dr. John Singer.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to have this conversation.
0: Well, I'll tell you, after reading the book, I, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Harry Everett's in the book, we were talking, we were referencing the book I'm saying is the uh, book called Race, Sports, and Education. He, this book is about black male college athletes, and he suggested that you should include the the female experience of the black female college athlete. And your reasoning for just going male was why?
1: Well, I think for me, being that this was my first foray into uh, an authored book, it was personal for me. I mean, as a black male myself who had hoop dreams and aspirations as a little boy growing up in Benton Harbor, Michigan, and as someone who has worked more closely with this particular population into my college years and graduate studies and now as a faculty member, it was just important for me to to write about what I knew and what I was most passionate about at this moment in my, my career. So that's kind of why I went against the sage wisdom and advice of Dr. Edwards. And for this particular <laughs> project, I had to stick with what, what was my passion. Well,
0: you know, you 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 know, he is the like what say the uh, the uh, the Messiah of this particular uh, field of a uh, study. You know, uh, when you think about him at the forefront of politics and, and and black studies, and especially from an athletic standpoint, you know, whenever you look at ESPN, you would always they would always hunt him down. What does what does That's Dr. Great. Harry Edwards have to say? What is he speaking about? And and when you look at the. Uh, footage of him from the sixties. He looks the same. He just has gray in his in his uh mustache and his goatee. But he's still brilliant. What what we, we, we gotta get to your book, but a person like that, what impact does he have on a person like you?
1: Yeah, so I remember seeing him like in interview clips when I was an undergrad at Michigan State and I, I just found myself fascinated with him. I was like, man, he comes out of that tradition of the civil rights movement, right. and Malcolm X's and <laughs> you know, the Black Panthers, but he he tied his activism to the context of sport, which really kind of got my attention as a young, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, going through undergrad. And so it's amazing that, you know, 20 plus years later, not only am I interacting with him, but he's endorsing my book. So he certainly planted a seed in me, I would say, that has started to germinate at this moment in my, my journey. Now, this book...
0: Who are you trying to reach with this book as far as readers are concerned? Right.
1: So there's a couple different audiences. Um, First and foremost, the athletes themselves. And this can include athletes beyond just black males because I think there's a message in this book if you really pay attention to the nuances and the narratives of the black males that I do feature in the book, there's something in there, I think, for all athletes who are traveling, you know, from high school into college sports. But more specifically, I really want to reach the decision makers. Right. Those individuals who are setting policies at the NCAA and and member institution level, those who are the practitioners working more directly day-to-day with these athletes, whether it's academic support for athletics or faculty on these university campuses, so I'm really looking to, re- and for that matter, people in secondary education who are responsible for preparing these athletes for higher education. So th- those are my, my primary audiences. Um, and then, of course, the lay audience, people who are just interested in, in the topic in, in sport and in education will also find, I think, some value in this book. Well, they're what I call
0: industry decision makers, influencers, people who can That's shape right. the way uh, uh, people think. Uh, the, the decisions they can make about their future or, the, or, the, or how they're living currently. And so the, the book I found a uh, fascinating reading, especially we're going gonna to get to chapters two and three in a minute, but I want to talk about the black barbershop. You know, I did a show on MTV called The Barbershop, and it, and it was about entertainment. And uh, one of the things about the black barbershop is that, you know, you, you're going to get your share of sports, you're going to get your share of politics, and you're going to get your share of entertainment. What was your take right. on the black barbershop? Because this is the fun part, you know, of, of our conversation, and I, I enjoyed the reading of the book. But when you when you get into that barbershop, it's a different space, there, man.
1: Oh man, you know, and it's, it's my good <laughs> friend and brother, Rich Milner, actually wrote the series forward uh, for the book, and he he talked about the black barber shop and the beauty shop and how his observations in that space really speak to. I mean, there's a lot of theorizing. I mean, I know we as academics, as scholars, we, you know, we pride ourselves in, you know, engaging with theory to make sense of the world. But in the black barbershop, that's exactly what you get. It's not in a formal sense, but certainly you have people with keen insights into these issues. So the black barbershop, even my current barber, um, you know, knows something about sports. Right, you know, and, and and the patrons sitting around waiting for their haircuts, you start talking about sport, boy. You see a different type of <laughs> excitement and, and and whatnot in that space. So absolutely, and I was glad that that brother Rich, Doctor Brother Rich Milner, used uh, that metaphor to introduce my book in, the, in his in his race and education series for Harvard Education Press.
0: Well, you know, it's really funny, you know, because uh, the, the movie that uh, Ice Cube made and, of course, uh, Cedric it, the Entertainer started, the very first barbershop, was the closest version, the very first one. All those are good, but the very first one's the closest version of walking into a typical black barbershop, you know, opinionated. You always got somebody who's bigger than life in there. And you always have people who sit around in putting information you have young generations because people women will bring in their young kids or the fathers are bringing their kids for their first haircuts and you have older generation people sitting in there and so it allows you to think about so many different layers of experiences that you can get just by walking in there and it's all tied to sports and sports is such a uh, it, it crosses racial lines but it is racial you know whether it's the black quarterback mm-hmm. situation or the, the, you know, I was watching ESPN last night. They did this special called the year of the black quarterback. You know, when you talk about Russell mm-hmm. Wilson, you talk about Patrick Mahomes, you talk about Lamar Jackson, who, who's unanimous MVP. And he was a guy who was the fifth quarterback drafted in the year he was drafted. And so, because people thought he should be actually trying out for, to be a wide receiver and not be trying to try to be a quarterback. And so, you know, these these individuals who are changing the game, how does that affect your book?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. One of the – it was in Chapter 2, the case study I did, uh, one of the athletes featured in that case study Talks talked about, about that. that how, mm-hmm. how, you know, even his college coach, you know, they were bringing a white quarterback and a black quarterback. That was a Mark. And, that was a Mark. Mm-hmm. Funnel that black Quarterback with the label of athlete, you mm-hmm. know, when clearly from the perspective of this young man that I feature in chapter mm-hmm. two, mm-hmm. he was the best quarterback and best athlete on the team, and right. he didn't understand why coaches wanted to limit his access to that quarterback leadership decision making position. So, certainly the athletes that I've engaged with in my research recognize the very point that you're making.
0: Well, you know, I think that a book like yours has to be written and has to be, you know, we can't all have, we have to have factual information about what is really going on out there. And uh, when I was reading your book and like I so see you, 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 follow three characters because you didn't really give detail on exactly who they were or exactly what college they played on or exactly what pro team they played on, but you shared their position in college. You shared their position when they left college and uh, the three characters Played a major role in how each transition away from the sport based on how the sport treated them. <laughs> and, sure, yeah. and, and, and it's really important that people understand that sports is such a, um, a, a, you know, everybody wants to be the next, you know, Russell Wilson or the next, you know, Jerry Rice or the next. But then you have this, this, this collegiate force or this college force out there. And you said the HWCU and I really versus the HBCU. Because those are two options Mm -hmm. out there. But they are perceived options for success. When I say HWCU, we're talking about historical white colleges and universities, and you have HBCU, historical historical black colleges and university. Explain those dynamics for us, my listeners.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, if you really think about prior to the late 1960s and early 1970s, that's where the black talent, Really emerged. You talk about Jerry Rice. I mean, he was—he's a, he's a product of an HBCU. Absolutely. And many of the greats prior to the late '60s, early '70s, when Harry Edwards was writing about this stuff, when he first began writing about this stuff, all the black talent was there. But once these historically white institutions began to realize there was gold in them, their heels, as they say, <laughs> that's when they started cherry picking. The best and the brightest, as historian Gerald Ely talked about it, was a, HBO did a documentary in the late 90s called The Journey of the African-American Athletes. He talked about this mass uh, influx of black athletes into these historical institutions in the early 70s. And the real key moment was in 1973, they talked about in this documentary, when Sam Dam Cunningham,
0: that's right. Came down to Alabama. Alabama. Yeah, he
1: went down and just ran all over Paul Bear Bryant's all-white Alabama squad. You had the Alabama fans in the stands, of Ed, the late, great Eddie Robinson said, talking about get us one. Get us one. Talking about a black athlete, you know, to, to, to dominate. And the next year, Alabama certainly brought in Wilbur Jackson.
0: Absolutely, and I just let everybody know about that game. USC dominant West Coast College University of Southern California, and Sam Bam Cunningham. When you give him a ball, he'd leap over the line. He wouldn't run through the line. He'd leap over it, and so uh, and so. So it was like there was nothing we'd ever seen in college football, and to do it against you know the vaunted or uh, the legendary you know Bear Bryant team was 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 incredible, and also you know yeah. the Nebraska team led by Johnny Rogers, and uh, those teams. Changed the way people saw black athletes, and then, then when Jimmy Johnson went down to Miami, and found that the, the southern version, the southern tip of uh, Florida, where all the black athletes that nobody wanted to recruit that had all the speed, that's really started changing the face. But then they called the athletes that he recruited convicts. Mm. They called the athletes that Notre Dame recruited Catholics. And so, hmm. so they, they 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 named them. So so when I started reading your book, you know, it, it just started bringing back memories, Doctor. You know, so so oh, I man. you know you I'm one of those industry decision makers. See, this is impromptu information you giving me that I'm just I'm just expounding. I'm just letting you know how important that your your book is and needs to be. Be be studied, but also served because sociology changed my life. We're gonna be back in a minute on our next break. Cause you got me fired up, Doc. You got me fired up, man. This book is a is a is a great read. I'm talking about a book. I'm talking to Dr. John Singer. His book, Improving Opportunities and Outcomes for Black Male College Athletes. We'll be right back with more money making conversations. We'll be right back with more from Rashad McDonald and Money Making Conversations. Don't touch that doll. Money-Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com and follow Money-Making Conversations on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time you stop thinking about your dreams and put some plans into action. Hi, you're listening to Money-Making Conversation. I'm the host, Rashawn McDonald. I'm speaking to Dr. John Singer. He has a book called Race sports, and education, and improving opportunities and outcomes for black male college athletes. Uh, my show is about entertainment. My show is about entrepreneurship. Um, I, I feel this uh, the topic that you're talking about is about money. It's about how the uh, the institution, we call the NCAA, uh, uh, some people call it a money-making institution. Some people have called it a plantation. Some people have called it an environment. But I, I, I feel that Yes, you can say that, but it also impacts white students as well, white student athletes as well and so, but we're talking about the black student athlete, and so you track three different uh talents in your book. Why did you choose these three individuals, and why were they stories so unique to your book?
1: Well, it's interesting, right, so that particular so that you're talking about chapter two in the book is really is um that chapter is based on my dissertation work. Um, and one of the reasons I don't, you kind of mentioned earlier in in our conversation that I don't give specifics about the institution, that's because of the IRB um, protocol at universities where you have to protect the the confidentiality Mm -hmm. of your research participants, Mm -hmm. but this research that I feature of these three black males, one of the reasons I chose them in particular is because they expressed an interest in the topic, so I had a connection with, one of the brothers who was an academic uh, counselor in in the athletic department. And he told these particular athletes about my, my, my dissertation research and, and they were very interested in in, in sharing their story and their voices and and helping to create knowledge around the topic. So that's kind of why those particular individuals made it into the book because they were willing participants and wanted to share this critical conversation that we had. That formed the basis of, of Chapter Two, and all
0: three of them played football, college football.
1: All three of them played football, and they were all high-level recruits. You know, they were they were high-level blue chip athletes coming out of uh, high school, and they all, at some point in time, had a, a, a stint in the NFL beyond their their college days. They were that talented um, on the field field of play to the point where they all got a shot with varying degrees of success at the NFL level. But I
0: love the fact that they all arrived in different ways. One was a free agent. One was drafted in the later rounds and one was drafted in the early rounds. And we all know that Absolutely. that's a salary tied to that. And uh, two of them became are uh, in, in the fields of, in the, are in the field of acting and one in the field of sales. And so yep. it, which, which, which is really interesting because in my, in my, I'm running into more and more athletes the, the gentleman who won an Oscar, Matthew Cherry was a former mm. professional football player. And so, so I'm running into more and more athletes, and I and I'm really reason I, reason I'm really excited about communicating with you because I'm I'm really involved in a lot of HBCU activity. I, you know, trying to really build a brand and the awareness of what HBCUs are bringing to the table, not only in athletics but academics, but also your book is about branding and marketing too, because it's about perception. Because that when you start, because that's why a lot of kids go to a a uh, uh, historical white college or, or university, because of the fact that it's perception that I can get drafted or I get a better opportunity to uh, to be seen on TV. That's important to these young people today, as it is in the past. Correct?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that conversation has come up in my not only in my formal research with black male athletes, but also when I was a uh, uh, academic uh, advisor and mentor of a summer bridge program. A lot of them did struggle with the decision. To say, hey, I, I want to consider HBCU, but I know where I'm at in my <laughs> career, where we're at in society. It, it behooves me to go to the historically white college because of the, the media visibility, the platform, the resources to get me to the next level. So, I've had many conversations with black male athletes over the years about that, you know, decision mm-hmm. to consider HBCUs, but to look at the platform and the resources that these historically white college universities. Even,
0: even though it's been proven that if you do have the talent, you know, uh, Steve McNair, HBCU graduate, a quarterback, Tennessee Titans, uh, Doug Williams, of course, Grambling, um, Jerry Rice, Mississippi, uh, Valley State, I believe. And then also mm-hmm. recently uh, the, the Houston Texans uh, drafted a young man out of, I believe, South Carolina State, uh, offensive tackle mm-hmm. uh, from our HBCU school. So and then also Darius Leonard last year he uh, was a uh, HBCU grad and made the Pro Bowl. So we're starting to see and also I know that the NFL is now holding a separate HBCU college uh, combine. So so it's a lot of things that are happening that may cause that shift may not be dramatically but if it, if that shift started to happen what would that do? In the in the book that you've written, would it would it be would it be a good thing if that shift started happening towards H so the HBCU starting to see more quality talent to attend or just status quo?
1: Well, that's, that's a very interesting question because I talk a little bit about that in the conclusion of my book, right mm-hmm. where. That's a consideration that we have to think about. I think about my dear sister, Jamel Hill, who is a fellow Michigan State Spartan alum. We were there in the early <laughs> 90s at yep. the same time. Mm-hmm. She talks about that, how now is the time for us to seriously consider that. It's interesting. I'm This Thursday, February 13th, I'm giving a talk about my book at Prairie View A&M. Um, Fred Bonner has a, what he called the Building on Resilience lecture series, and he asked me to come and talk about my book and, and, you know, implications it has for college sport, widely speaking. And so I think it's time to have that conversation. And in light of what Harry Edwards refers to as the fourth wave of athlete activism, right. where athletes are now any corporations in their own right, you know, I mean, with the social media media platform, these athletes are being more empowered to to control their own, you know, Voice. brand and mm-hmm. destiny, so mm-hmm. I think it's a serious conversation that we can't ignore and just dismiss as, oh, it'll never be possible because the allure of H- HWCUs is just too powerful. I think that, I don't know, the conversation is is, is, is ripe and to be had. Well, it's, it's right to be had, but will
0: it be, you know, Achieved. And I'm not, look out, look, I'm not trying to shut down uh, my school, the University of Houston. I'm just trying to let individuals know there are options. And sometimes people don't look at HBCU as an option. And I'm just letting people know that if you're talented and you want to be in and you do the right things in life, then guess what? You can participate in the sport, especially in football. Now, that's not showing up in baseball, that's not showing up in basketball like that. But in football, it's proven that if you got the talent, they will find you. And you can also. And that's that's very true.
1: Yeah, and I'll give you an example. So I I referee high school and college basketball here in Texas when I'm not doing my university work. And one of my fellow co-officials has a son who is, you know, senior this year, being recruited. And I don't know if he signed on signing day February 5th, but he told me after his son read my book, he is seriously now considering going to an HBCU after reading my book. I mean, that really – did my heart good when I got that text message from from him saying that you know because he's considering you know some of the some of the major Division one schools here in the state of Texas, but now you know the Texas Southerns and the Prairie Views are in in the conversation for this young man and his family. Well, and you, so that that really was good. Because well,
0: you know hear. I don't care where you at. Okay, well, let's let's look at the, the 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 college world is out there. You know, if you if you're in the traditional H. Uh, 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 historical white colleges, okay, that means that even there you have the power of five the Power Five conferences. And then like, I go to the University of Houston, it's not a Power Five conference, you know, it's a lesser conference. So even in that world, there's divisions. They're saying, you're better, you can can hang out down there. You have the Division Two, you have Division One, playoff systems, and then you have HBCU. So no matter where you go, there are gonna be opportunities for you and you could be perceived like, uh, for instance, Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver, when he signed with the University of Houston, and, he's, and they, they said, why? That's not a qualified school. He would never make it. Guess what? He wound up being the number nine pick of the draft because his talent That's still, fair. he still gave 100% effort. He still shined. And so I'm just letting everybody know when I read your book, not only were you supplying with me with information, but you also were affirming what I believe. If you, if you make the right effort, if you put yourself in the right support system and then don't let people sway you with negativity, then you can follow your dreams no matter where it leads you. That's what the basis of your book is, correct?
1: That's right. And these athletes nowadays, they want to get on the field or the court. They want to have opportunities to play and, and and maybe it's a situation where they realize, "Hey, let me let me come on home. One of my doc students and I <laughs> right. did a one of my doc and I did a study where she, you know, she, we looked at a young man, he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school who started at Alabama, but eventually ended up at at uh, Winston-Salem State University. Right. And we 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 framed that that we did, we presented it at a conference, and we framed it redefining the conveyor belt, you know, William Roden's turn and how these athletes are recruited from their communities from early age on through, you know, high school into college and how this particular young man redefined the conveyor belt and and, and looking at his story and talking about how he you know, ended up at home at the end of the day when he was in that space called Winston-Salem State University. Even though there wasn't the accolades attached to it that an Alabama provides, at the end of the day, as a man, he found that landing spot that he, where he finished his career to be, you know, that's comfortable. For him going comfortable. Let's, let's
0: put it comfortable and relatable because that's what it's all about. I, you know, in the end, man, if you're trying to pursue your dreams, and I say who I'm speaking to is Dr. John Singer. Uh, um, his book is about it's about letting people know that as a black athlete, your experience is different, and it should be acknowledged because you talk about well, more college professors, you talk about tutors, you talk about mentors, because you know. You, you're thrown into a world that's really not trying to adjust for you. And that's really what can happen to students. And so that's all I'm saying is that, sure, you can be recruited. Sure, you can go to the school. But is it, is it accepting who you are as a person where in a much smaller environment, they can allow you to grow as a person? Because that's all you want when you go to college. You want growth. You want an opportunity to walk away and be a successful person in a field that is not athletically driven. And that's what the three people that you chose and which I liked because, you know, one, he left, he was a free agent. You know, he had a family, but he still went to LA and guess what? He's a, he's working as a successful actor. And then one, he was a, he's a late round draft pick, but he saved his money, played several years in the NFL. And then he doesn't have a wife or a kid. So, but he saved his money. So he's out there, but he's not, He's not effectively pursuing his career like he wants at the pace that he want, but at least he's doing it. And then the other one is a salesman. He's out there using his academic training, using his the things that he learned by going to the school and allowing him to live a successful life. But that's all you want from a college from college education. That's all the opportunity you want. College does college owe you anything, doctor?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that, and I talk about this in the book, Harry Edwards says, is that at the end of the day, education is an activist pursuit, right? And if you don't, as an individual, even though there's issues that we can talk about with the system and the structure, if you as an individual don't prioritize that, that's on you. Yes. So I think, you know, that's one of the messages I do want people to take from the book as well, is that I'm very... As Harry was said in his endorsement of our book, I'm very hard on the system and, and my critique of it, but I'm also uh, cognizant of the fact that the individual has to step up and make it, their education a priority in an activist pursuit. So, In other words, what you're saying is if, that, if yeah. somebody
0: gives you an opportunity, take advantage of it. Because the three people that volunteer to be a part of your research, they use their athleticism to be educated, and I feel they're living good lives because they were able to go to college. But the, the athleticism wasn't the end all. It was just a that's step right. to a better life. And that's what, that was my biggest takeaway from your book. And the book I'm talking about is Race, Sports, and Education, Improving Opportunities, which what college education can do and outcomes for black male college athletes. My man, Dr. John Singer, uh, I'm a fan. Uh, please tell everybody how they can uh, locate your book. Do you have a website, your social media information?
1: Oh yeah. Well, the best way probably is just to go directly to uh, either Harvard Education Press website or either Amazon. That's that's really the the, the popular way to to get the book um, at this point. Uh, I am on Twitter. I'm I am on Facebook. Um, so I don't have a website at this point for the book. But as I talk more about this book and, and uh, it gets more attention I will be setting that type of thing up So well my job is Stay to give you
0: attention sir because I enjoyed it and I wish you good luck I always know that Rashawn McDonald is a friend of yours and uh, your book has only opened my eyes to let me know that I'm going to continue to fight but College changed my life. I didn't play sports, but if I didn't go to college, if I didn't pursue the opportunities that college presented to me, I would not be the man I am today. If you want to listen to any more episodes of Money Making Conversations, go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.